What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. I'm sitting here with my co-host, Scott Farrow. And today, we're going to be talking about why follow-up is essential to your success in this business. I know this year, we've talked about partnerships. We've talked about scheduling and calendaring. Um, but this one is a super important topic, especially for those of you out there looking to be successful in this business. The, the key is in the follow-up. So um, let's kick it off. Yeah, man. So we've already talked a little bit about business practices, but this is one that I think will make some of the most money. If you can get really good at follow-up, this is where the fortune's at, right? The fortunes in the follow-up is a classic in our sales industry, but um, we wanted to start by talking about kind of the sales cycle of a lead. And this is important because um, just like any other industry, you don't start with just somebody who wants to buy a house, right? So it's a, it's a, or sell a house. It's a timeline. And the first, the first part of it would be uh, from a, a buyer's or from a, uh, a leads perspective would be like a stranger. Like at this point, you're a stranger to anybody in this industry right yeah whether you're doing uh the, any sort of lead generation to bring in more leads or um e even if it's a referral from uh, a client or someone in, in your soi that person is usually starting off as a stranger they yeah. don't know you personally typically you don't know them personally and it the next step would be to get that stranger and see what what their intent is right because right. you're being put in touch for a reason you're marketing to them for a reason or they're being referred to you for a reason so it's kind of doing a little bit of fact finding like what what's your sales intent what what is your mission what are your needs what are your goals right. and moving them from a stranger to an official lead right yeah and so a part of that too is like just uh i think the term that they use for the buyer's perspective is actually awareness mm -hmm. and so you become aware that you're even in need of a service in our industry that's going to be buying or selling a house or or whatever it is right and so exactly you need to first identify what they're trying to do yeah and an example um of at least that first stage of moving the stranger to a lead could be um you know sending out a, a mass direct mail campaign right so you've got this list of strangers who you're mailing to um to see and generate leads for your investment business direct mail those people have to call you mm -hmm. right so those who are calling in have some sort of intent you're doing the fact finding on the phone yep and that's how they move from the stranger that you mailed to now a lead depending on the conversation you have with them right, right. obviously you get all the people are saying you know this that and the other and then they're filtered out but the intent would be to move them from stranger to lead. Right. In our CRM, we have it set up as sales intent is literally mm -hmm. the first yeah. stage of a person that has contacted us. Meaning that there's somebody who is looking to work with us or work with anybody in the next year. That's what we've defined it. And once we've got them moved from a stranger to a lead from Again, the buyer's perspective, we talked about when they're a stranger, kind of awareness, mm -hmm. right? But now when we're into now the second stage of a lead, it's consideration, right? So whether that's, um, you know, them thinking about buying a house, what they're looking for, what they want, or if it's they're selling their house, what they're thinking about, what their time frame is, where are they going, this, that, and the other, or 
an investment lead would be again you know kind of what's my time frame um you know and just kind of the needs and wants right. and all this stuff right the whole the whole purpose of the consideration time frame for a uh, uh uh excuse me like a lead is figuring out what problems they have what options they have to solve it and discerning kind of or de like deciding what time frame they want to move on once it's in a crm this is usually the longest section that a lead sits in because you can't force somebody to hurry up if you don't know what they want to do when they want to do it and what problems they need to solve and i think it's important too i first heard this from our buddy stratton brown um, but since then i've heard it from a ton of other investors in our space which is don't waste your time talking to people who aren't leads, right? So a lot of people, um, and I know that that was kind of a big switch for me when I heard Stratton first say that to me because I was wasting time talking to people who were not going to turn out to be leads, right? So a lead, they understand we are interested and they have expressed a degree of interest themselves. They've given a set time frame. They've given you details in X, Y, and Z so that you know that at some point that lead should translate into a piece of business just depending right. on the time frame and all that other stuff your key goal during this section is to fact find as much as possible about their situation and then uh demonstrate how your company can solve those problems yeah that's really the important part because in the consideration time frame they're not tied down to anybody specific there's no, no. contract there's no time so all you can do is just show, hey, I'm really, really interested to help solve these problems. And this is what I can do to help you. And so that's usually going to take the longest period of time because it requires them. But let's set, set a caveat. There are leads that will come to you and they'll already know, I need to sell this now. Here's my problems. And they're just asking for something specific. Like some people will ask for price. Some people ask for ease. Some people ask for time. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, there are times when they come to you and they can skip over this consideration period altogether. Typically, they've gone through this with somebody else. Yeah, 100%. So we've got two stages of the lead covered, right? Yeah. They start as a stranger, then they move to a lead, and then stage three would be they are now an opportunity. Yes. And the opportunity stage is where all not all but the majority of the follow-up is happening in the opportunity stage so what takes a lead to an opportunity the the most important thing is to hit the pillars right so condition time motivation price um i think that's really it if they hit a majority of these you can move them to an opportunity because now you know uh you know joe schmo needs to sell it within 30 to 90 days he is in bad condition and can't list on the open market. He is asking for 120,000. My max offer is 122. And uh, what was the last one? Uh, time, condition, price, motivation. And he has some reason to sell it to me versus go list it or go somewhere else, right? So that's when you can move it to a opportunity. And the majority of... Uh, like you had touched upon the investigation and the negotiation doing even more fact finding price discussion x y and z like you had mentioned 
in the opportunity section, when you have a defined time frame, you know, 90 days, it, and we say this is where you need to do a lot of the follow-up. If they're 90 days out, you're not going to stop talking to them and then not talk to them until the 90th day because right. who knows what can pop up, right? Their situation could change and shoot. Maybe they need to need to sell in 30 instead of 90 days. So that's where it's super important and why we say the fortune is in the follow-up is because between that zero day zero and that 90th day that they give you, you're following up at least once every, at least I would say every 30 days, you're, you're hitting them multiple times before yeah. that 90th day. I would probably even say one every three weeks. Yeah. You know, and that's where there's going to be a level of like learning curve on how to figure out what personality types react well to what. But for us, the key is once you have those points of motivation with the price, the timeline, the condition, every time you talk to that person, you set the expectation of when you're going to follow up. And you just say, hey, look, I want to stay in touch. I know that you're looking to sell this thing and it's not right now, but I want to be there when the timing's right. When can I follow up with you? If they give you a time, our typical rule of thumb is to try to cut it in half because typically people overestimate how long it's going to take them to come to the next stage. Yeah. But you know, if we reach out in half the time and they're still not ready, hey, great. I'm glad we were able to connect. Is there anything I can do to help you? Okay, perfect. I'm going to follow up with you in a couple more weeks. And I think that's an important point too because... I know a lot of you out there might be thinking, you know, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to feel like I'm pestering uh, this potential lead or this lead or right. uh, this person. Um, but I think the funny thing is, and we were just talking about this yesterday with one of the leads you were following up on, is um, the lady I, I think had said to call you back in three weeks. And you were like, you know what, I'm going to call her, call her back in a week and a half to two weeks because... My, 99% of these leads or these people, when they give you a time frame, uh, and it happens even more if it's like, call me back in three months. If you call them back in a month and a half, they're not going to remember they told you to call them back in three months when they talked with you, right? right. It's going to it's gonna feel like a long period of time has passed anyway. It also comes with uh, intention. One of the things that we were trained when we first started was if, you, if you're calling with the intention that you're pestering them, you're going to be pestering. Yeah. That if you call it the intention of checking in, adding value, offering solutions, nobody's going to be mad at you when you call a little early. And especially if you do it tastefully. If you call, when we always call, one of the first questions that come out of our mouth, is this a good time? Or did I catch you at a bad time? Mm -hmm. That's the one I like to say because it's a no-oriented. Yep. Hey, did I catch you at a bad time? No. Okay, great. Hey, this is Scott Farrow. You and I, we spoke a couple weeks back about a property on 123 Main Street. I just wanted to check in and see if there was uh, any update. I know you're waiting on a family member to give you an offer. Okay, great. Maybe they already gave him an offer. Great. I called in time. What if they didn't? Okay. Well, I know it's been a couple weeks. Have they given you any idea of when they're going to be able to get you that offer? Well, they were originally going to say in two weeks, but now they're saying they could have it to me in three or four. All right. Well, what's going to be the difference uh, in that time frame? Is there anything that could come up? Is there any reason why you would sell to somebody else? You try to start kind of questioning, right? You're just trying to solve problems. Do you rem I don't remember exactly what it was, but what was the phrase? I think it was yesterday or two days ago. The phrase you used on the phone, um, it was the lady who had said uh, she was maybe selling to a family member, and then you would use something It was yesterday. Like, it's the same person that we were talking about. Yeah. I said, well, would there ever be a day that you'd sell it to somebody not in the family? Yes. And that's when she said, yes, there would. How about you call me back in three weeks? She answered the phone by saying, I won't sell it. 
And I think that is what differentiates uh, beginning investors uh, as opposed to someone more experienced, a beginner investor or someone just getting into the business. And this a little side note, but would take that and go, okay, you know, this leads dead, not going to follow up in the, with them anymore. They said they're going with family. So, you know, they would, and instead of asking the question you did, they'd be like, okay, you know what? G- great. Thanks. Wish you the best of luck and never talk to that lead again. But now you've got a follow-up set for a week and a half to two weeks from now, all because you asked and twisted that question and be like, oh, it sounds, you know, right. it sounds like you wouldn't be open to accepting an offer from anyone else. Oh, no, 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 no. Call me back in three weeks. And that's exactly it. And again, when you hear it from that perspective, I wasn't trying to be pushy. No. I was genuinely curious. Like, well, I mean, I get wanting to sell it to family, but would you never consider an offer? Yeah. Um, and going that route. So that, that those are just little ways that we're trying to bring up that following up when it's in the opportunity stage mm-hmm. is the most crucial follow-up. A hundred percent. The other part that we have about this is um, when you go to the opportunity stage, that's typically when you get the um, physical inspection. That's when people usually are okay with you finally coming to the house, walking it, taking photos. A lot of the price negotiation happens there. And it's important that especially with follow-up, we always talk about going on your appointment you know, we always lead with the intention that you're going to close it there. Yeah. But what happens when you don't is you need to have set the expectation that, Hey, we weren't able to work it out today. How about I give you a couple of days to think it over on what number you would consider. And I'll give you a call back and you set a time and a date. Cause even, I mean, I'm thinking it goes back to obviously follow up. If you in that appointment and even if you get the vibe that, you know, that they're not on the same page as you or, or you don't end up signing it and you just take that and go, you know, I, I'm not going to follow up. Those they're people. unrealistic. They're, yeah. They're unrealistic. Their price is X and I'm at Y, which when we, which what we have found is big numbers that people think are big and differences in price are actually not. No, that we big. close deals all the time when you start at like 70,000 different. Price. Yeah. We, it, yeah. it, that is a common number to start different. So we've gone through these three stages of a lead. The fourth and final one would be taking it to a customer or converting we, them into a customer or a client. That's what I was going to say. A closed, a, a closed transaction, Yes. right? Which is the decision. The deal has been won. You have helped your lead buy a house, closed escrow. You have helped your client or... Um, that person sell their house or you have officially bought that house from as from an investment perspective. I even like thinking of the sellers as clients. They're just not real estate clients. As realtors, we have to be very, very clear with them what our role is with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we're servicing them, right? At the end of the day, they came to us for a solution and we're simply the guys that are bringing the cash to solve the problem. Um, What's important to know here is we, we brought this up one in part to understand that there's a time frame to each lead, but two to understand that there's opportunity for you to treat these clients just like a grocery store would treat them. A lot of these sellers that you work with or a lot of clients have multiple transactions in their life. And if you do a very, very good job through this, mm-hmm. when they go straight to the awareness, they'll skip the consideration when it comes to who they're going to use. And then it's just going to be problem solving and time frame solving. Yeah. So that's an important thing to understand is just like, uh, you know, a grocery store like Walmart or Save Mart will do. 
and they get you to come back and they provide reward programs and all that. Our best method to getting repeat business from these people is to be upfront and honest, transparent, uh, trustworthy, and follow through on everything that we say we're going to do, right? So at the end of the day, once you do that, say you meet a seller who has 10 houses, over the next you know 20 years while they're selling off their portfolio as older people do mm-hmm. because they don't want to be landlords, Yep. all of a sudden they think of Cade because Cade took care of me on uh, Cornell X amount of weeks ago or X amount of years ago or you know a decade ago. Yeah. Which again comes back to the follow up because if you complete if you complete the sale or you complete a piece of business with a client and then you never talk to them again, if they've got ten other houses and you haven't been touching touching base with them every so often, being genuine in your approach, checking in with them, hey. You know, I know we closed that transaction a month ago. You told me you were going to go out and, and celebrate. How, how'd it go? How are you doing? How's the past month been? You know, checking in with them and being genuine in your approach. Yeah. If you're not doing that follow-up, when the time comes for the next house, they've probably forgot about you. Right. It's called bottom of the funnel. Yeah. And so you think of all of your leads at the top of the funnel. They're pouring in. And as they get filtered through, there's less and less and less. And you finally get to your, your clientele. When you get to the clientele... That follow-up is very different than the initial stranger follow-up. And it should be an easier follow-up for you. Oh, yeah. An easier business to do. Why not follow up with those people? And the big thing, it's easier and better when you've done a good job. Yes. If you did a very poor job for a seller, that's a hard (laughs) phone call to make. Hey, I messed up this transaction. You want to sell me another? (laughs) You know? And I'm not saying they won't give you another chance, but... And I'm not also saying that you're perfect. Like I've messed up plenty of transactions on accident and they've closed, but I've had road bumps and I've had speed bumps that were my fault. And it's important that in those moments you say, this is what mistake I made. Here's the solution. Here's how I can repair any damages to you. And then you go through with it, right? So all this is really important to understand the concept of why follow-up is so important because in our business, it's not like a grocery store where somebody walks in and buys a, you know, their food that day we're talking that this could be anywhere from months to years i just lost a deal yesterday that was a follow-up from the beginning of 2019 that i've been following up and we're in january of 22 oh well that's a lot of wasted time but it wasn't wasted because there was an opportunity where i fell short was i didn't really know when to call and i must have missed an indicator Mm -hmm. because it got listed and i could have listed it and i got listed for six hundred and fifty thousand, and i could have been that guy Yeah. So it's something to think about. Yeah. And we've said this multiple times so far. uh, The fortune is in the follow-up. And we've made the point that it is extremely rare to come across a stranger or a lead who is instantly ready to become a customer or a client, right? It's very rare to get the phone call from an investment client or an investment seller that says, I need to sell this house today. Get me an offer today. I'd like to open escrow tomorrow. It happens, but it's very extremely rare. So if you're not following up with 99% of the strangers or the leads in your business, you're never going to do any deals because one, a very small amount of those people are actually ready now and today to do, to do that. Right. Excuse me. Um, and the general rule of thumb that we use, at least in our business, different than other aspects of sales uh, where you're also following up. But the activities you're doing today, the follow-up, the lead generation, X, Y, Z, will pay you 
in three to six months. They they may pay you. May pay you. Right. And so at the you know one of the other things that we talk about is that like um, it takes for a lot of our marketing streams twelve months. Mm-hmm. So for mail, don't start a mailing campaign unless you can do it for twelve months because our industry has a time frame. And the reason it has a time frame is because the the first leads that call you uh, off that mailing piece, those guys that called you are probably multiple months, if not a year out. Yeah. And it's going to be on your ability to follow up and close to see if that, that uh, marketing method is actually a success. Yeah. Um, the other part to it is understanding that each, you know, each industry is so different. Mm-hmm. You need to work with people who are already in your industry and figure out like, what are they doing? When you get a guy that calls and says, I want to sell my house in the next few months, like what, what do the successful people do in those situations? Mm-hmm. I guarantee the people that are not selling as many homes are going to be the ones that say, well, I call them back in three months to four months. And I say, Hey, you mentioned you were going to sell in April. It's April 1st. Are you thinking of selling? Oh no. You know, I'm sorry. I actually listed it a couple of weeks ago with, with somebody else it, or I sold always, it three weeks ago or yeah. a month ago because we had to move to this because of this. Right. And that's where, when we talk to them right now, like right now you and I are talking to a lot of people mm-hmm. who are saying, oh, summertime. Well, I remember in the summertime they're saying, oh, the new year. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you kind of can start seeing that three to six month kind of time frame building up in that time. You try to talk to them frequently. And for us, like another thing is like when you talk to your top of the funnel, you know, there's this theory like the 10 days of pain where at the start you hit them with a lot of follow up. But as they get further out, you have a better understanding of what the situation is and you try to extend your follow up to the amount that makes sense for their situation. So like you might in the first few days get a hold of them a couple times, but then they say, hey, look, honestly, I have a financial situation that makes it so I can't sell until X month. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I don't want to pester you, but I want you to know I'm really serious. If you wouldn't mind, save my number. I'm going to save yours. And how about I give you a call back, you know, a month before that month and just see how things go. And if they say yes, great, you do it. And then if you're going and you call and they say, oh, yeah, you know, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Okay, well, what happened? What changed? Great. Okay. So when should I follow up with you next? Let them suggest it. And then you cut it in half. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, because you made the example of with that uh, house that just listed where you may have missed an indicator or, um, you know, may have followed up a little bit too late. And to make it clear, there's no perfect follow-up system out there. There's no anywhere, anyone who advertises or uh, wants to sell the perfect follow-up system, there is no perfect follow-up system because not all of your clients are a single person. They're their own people with their own experiences, with their own needs, which is what comes along in this business of being in it for longer periods of time. You get a better grasp and understanding of how it works, how people think, what their needs are. Yeah. So for people out there saying, you know, how do I follow up? What, what do I need to do? We mentioned 10 days of pain, which is a great rule of thumb in the beginning for you those strangers. Yes, let's do it. So for those strangers that are coming in or leads that are coming in from a marketing channel um, that have that could have called you for an initial call uh, or you have not no contact with them before. Before you go forward, there are rules on who you can contact for business. Yes. These are people 
who have expressed interest in selling a property or buying a property. We're not calling some random person this way. This person has had a conversation with us yes. or somebody from our team or somebody who referred them to us. It's not just a stranger. Absolutely. Um, so 10 days of pain. So for 10 days, you're going to contact them at least once a day for 10 days in a row, whether that's a mixture of calling, texting, or emailing. So once a day, you're going to use one of those channels for 10 days in a row until you have contact with that person. So say you call on day one, call on day two, text on day three, boom, you get a response on day three, then that's the end of the 10 days of pain. The 10 days of pain is meant for trying to get in contact with this person for up to 10 days. What happens if they don't reach you? So let's say you've gone 10 days in a row, which is kind of crazy to think. You would think if someone was calling me and texting me and emailing me for 10 days straight, I'd freaking respond back just to get them off my butt. But it happens more than you know. It does happen. They're 10 days go and you have not had any contact with that person. Then it's a grasp of, okay, once a week for, you know, a given period of time, maybe four to eight weeks. Then... Every two weeks, you give them one of the three methods of contacting, right? Then it goes to once a month, and then it goes to once every two months. You know what I mean? Right. And, and that's where you can kind of tailor it to how, how you think, right? And and if you've gone over a year and a half to two years <laughs> or whatever it is without Honestly, getting contact. Honestly, if you've gone about filter, a year, yeah, I would recommend you filter them. So conversely, say you get a hold of them on day three. So you got a hold of them on day three, then what? So now on that initial call with them, you're reviewing the conversation that they had had with whoever referred you this lead or if it was you. Hey, just wanted to clarify last time we spoke, you were saying that you wanted to sell this house by the summertime. You wanted to be done. You got some tenants in there who aren't paying and you were hoping to get 200000 for it. Is that right? So first you confirm facts. Then has anything changed? You go through all that and then it's great. Well, I know that you're hoping to be sold by this time frame. Ideally, in order to do that, we need to do these steps based off my experience. Is that the same for what you understand? See if they have any other ideas. Then you confirm any agency. We already talked about Pace Morby's question about what did your realtor say? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you talking to anybody else about selling this house? Uh, are there any other decision makers for the home? You're fact finding all that. Then by the end of that appointment, you should be trying to set an inspection. Now, they might still be in the consideration phase and they might not let you. But if they do, now you know that they're not trying to wait until the summertime. They're hoping to sell this sooner rather than later. Even if they don't, you're now setting expectations on what your future follow-ups will be. Yeah. And your future follow-ups will be based off the situation. Exactly. I was going to say that that's where you, you tailor it to the lead and the client to their needs, your needs, the situation. Yeah. Like we said, there's no perfect follow-up system. You're not going to do the same follow-up for someone who mm-hmm. is on the fence, needs to talk with family there, you know, six months out. Your follow-up system for them is going to be drastically different than someone says, yeah, you know, in the next month or two, I need to go out to and, and move to Tennessee for X, Y, and Z fam- family. And your follow-up for them is going to be a lot different than someone on the other end of the and there, spectrum. And there's typical rules of thumb. Like say somebody says they want to sell ASAP. Well, that guy you're going to want to talk to at least like every three days. Yeah. (laughs) Because if he says, I'm actively considering it, if you go more than three days, he's forgetting about you. You're a stranger to most people. If they say, I'm going to sell in the next 30 days, you should at a minimum be talking to him once a week. Hey, I know that you're selling in a month. 
just want to let you know if, if it's okay with you. Can I follow up with you in a week to see if you're getting any closer, if there's anything that I can do? And if they say no, then all you have to do now is set it for an extra week, right? If they say no to you following up and then you call, that's going to be something they remember. Yeah. If they tell you a certain time and you call a little early, a little different story. So let's wrap this up. Um, we've talked about follow-up, why it's essential to your success. <clears throat> we sound like broken records because we keep saying the fortune is in the follow-up, which for those in this business who have been doing it, that everyone will agree with you that the fortune is in the follow-up. So I know each of us just had to uh, a big piece of business that closed yeah. because the money was in the follow-up. Yeah. So let's do a quick breakdown of just how each of our follow-ups went down and why that led to the fortune being in the follow-up. Yeah. You want to go first or me? Go ahead. All right. So I, uh, I'm going to tell you the longer version of this, but yeah. this was uh, the biggest deal I've ever done so far. I started by calling on for sale by owners and I picked up a listing. That listing went so well, he referred me to the house down the street. The house down the street had the sign up and a neighbor from a different neighborhood drove by and saw the sign. That neighbor called me off the sign and asked for the numbers of the other two sellers. Those two sellers gave me a letter of recommendation and the third listing listed with me. Mm-hmm. That listing went good enough that they referred me to their neighbor who had a house that had been just like really not taken care of. Yeah. And they told me this was all over a eight, a seven month period. These three listings, the last listing said, my neighbor has a house. They want to sell it cash and they want you to come help them, but they are a little embarrassed about the state of the home. It's in a pretty nice area. It's in Sunnyside. You know, it was in the upper, you know, half a million. And, it was not in great shape. Great news was, was that that first listing sold and was completed by July. Okay. During uh, the following year, I wrote letters and I called uh, the neighbor. I even door knocked him th- or three or four times because I picked up a few more listings. And I probably had something like 20 contacts with this person or 20 attempted contacts. Mm -hmm. One day out of the blue, the old seller who sold by listing who had referred me the lead called me and said, they called me and asked for your number again. They're going to call you today. They called me. I answered. They said, hey, you've been leaving your card at my house. You've been mailing me. You've left me a couple of voicemails. I really want you to come over and give us an offer. We need help. I went over and I gave him the option. I said, here's what you could sell it on the open market for. Here's what you could sell it to me for. And because of COVID, they had recently had two people that they knew pass away from COVID um, because of the condition of the home and because of their own personal um, situation. They needed time to move. They needed security and they didn't need the money as much as they needed the security. They said, you know what? The difference is like 30 or 40,000 we're going to sell it, you know, to Scott. I opened contract that same day. We were able to get them in escrow. We gave them a 60 day rent back. We closed and it ended up netting me the largest profit I've ever made on one single deal. So it took me over a year and a half of following up, I think was the total number, um, in order to get them to sell, to sell. And the lesson I get from that, which is something we didn't even talk about is 
when you're following up with people and they're not answering. I mean, you you've had the contact with them, but you were you continued to door knock. You continued to leave notes at this house where you weren't getting any response. Mm-mm. So somebody, uh, a less experienced or a novice investor, who's going out and knocking on this door and leaving a note. You know, after the first, if they don't get an answer, you know, maybe they'll go back a second time and door knock. Maybe they'll leave a second note. But a lot of people get defeated and say, you know what? These people aren't answering. I've left two notes. They're not giving me a call. Forget about it. And what was interesting was that I knew the whole time they were going to sell. Yeah. I had a timeline because they told me that they were going to sell within the year. Mm -hmm. I had a condition and I had a motivation. And so I knew that there was at least three things. I didn't know what the price was. But being a licensed agent, I could sell their house too. Yeah. And so when I went to their house, I was very like non-pushy. I said, look, you can go either route. Like, <laughs> But they, they were like, well, if we go on the open market, no showings, no open houses, no nothing. I said, well, that's going to drastically affect what your sales price is. Yeah. Because people don't buy homes uh, yeah. on the MLS except investors without seeing it. Yeah. You know? So again, proof is in the pudding. Fortune is in the follow-up netted you your, your biggest deal yep. to date. Okay, now you do yours. So this just happened recently. Um, closed out the end of the year, um, helping this client, helping the seller out. So rewind to um, a couple months towards the end of last year. I think we were at the beginning of Q, Q4, um, maybe around September time. And um, I'm talking with the seller, talking with this client, um, they had ex- expressed interest in selling their home. It was a rental property. And um, I got their time frame r- right off the bat. Uh, the seller had mentioned to me, hey, I really need to sell this by the end of the year. My, my accountant told me, uh, you know, for tax reasons. That's I- one of the best motivations. Oh, one of the best motivations. They said, I need it to not only go into contract, but I need to close escrow by the end of this year for tax reasons. So great. We've got the time frame there right off the bat. Um, but the thing that I found out and that the seller shared with me early on was she was going to give the tenants living in the home, the right of first refusal to buy the home, which means before she sells it to anybody else or even gets offers from anybody else, she's going to give the tenant the first chance to right. do it. The tenant can go out. A lot of and, landlords do this. Yes. Because they have a relationship with their tenant, right? It, a lot of the time. Um, so the tenant has an opportunity to go and try and get pre, pre-approved or pre-qualified for the home and then subsequently buy the home, right? So let's stop there. That's another point where not many people would know to follow up after that. I mean, if you've got a seller telling you, no, selling it to my I'm going to sell it to my tenant, a novice or beginner investor might take that and go, that's a lost deal, man. Yeah, it's a done deal. They're He's selling a, it to their it. tenant. I, you know, blah, 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 blah. So real quick, not to ruin the, your story, yeah. but as a general rule of thumb, unless the person has an open contract, any offer they have is not a done deal. Even when they have an open contract, it's not a done deal, but there's like certain rules for follow-up. But like if they say family, tenant, uh, business partner, another investor, that's not a done deal. Yeah. That's not a reason to stop. Continue. Okay. So me, so I'm, I'm taking that news and I'm going, okay, we're in early Q4. Escrow still needs to open. 
and close by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. In this example, the tenant needs to go out, get pre-approved, get pre-qualified, f- go through that whole process, and then open escrow and do all their things and close by the end of the year. So I'm taking that and I'm going, okay, and doing the same thing you are. No signed contract. They, it's, they're not even pre-qualified or pre-approved yet. Mm-mm. The seller had mentioned that they are going to, and she's going to sell it to the tenants after they do that. But I'm thinking, okay, not a done deal. So I'm following up, like we had talked about earlier, probably once every three weeks or so, maybe between three and four weeks, um, just touching base, saying, you know, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, um, just wanted to check in, see how the pre-approval process was going for your tenants. Yeah. Um, just wanted to check in and see if you guys were able to open escrow yet. Yeah. Um, X, Y, and Z. We get all the way to almost mid-December, and um, we were talking about... Actually, this first text was early December, and uh, the seller had gone, you know, I I don't think the tenants are going to buy the house, so I still need to sell by the end of the year. I'll give you a call or follow up with you in a week to, to touch base, and this is already early December, and I mean, obviously we can close escrow quickly X, Y, Z. So boom, follow up a week later. It's official, you know, not selling to the tenants. I need you to come in and I need escrow to close by the end of the year. So day of, not only we go out, we open escrow, agree on a price, um, get everything dialed in, but by two days before the end of the new year or the end of the year, excuse me, before the new year, escrow closes, Seller gets to close uh, their sale by the end of the year, um, get their check, and do X, Y, and Z, which, similar to you, was my biggest deal um, that I have done to date, which was good. Let's also bring up that you solved the problem. You brought the know-how and expertise on how to help the tenants get out of the house because, obviously, technically, they could have a 30-day notice and it ruined everything. They knew what was going on, Mm -hmm. so they were able to work with you, but you offered to help cover the fees to get them out. Yeah by helping pay them to, to move. You brought the know-how of how to do it. And you brought the skill set of actually getting the offer accepted, escrow opened, escrow closed on time. You did the final walkthrough, everything all, all at once for that seller. Mm-hmm. So did the seller even have to go back to the house after that first appointment? No. Yeah, see? So that's the service you provided. And you got paid handsomely for providing a great service and being in the right place for the right period of time at the right time. And uh, to go back to what we were talking about, this is a client and a seller who does have multiple homes here in town. So um, I've talked with them after the transaction had closed, um, thanked them, appreciated them. They were super appreciative and thankful to me, which goes back to what you were saying, providing not only the service, but great service and and living up to what you say you were gonna do. Early on, I when I was talking with this client and seller, um, I said, look, if we go the investment route, I know I can close escrow in as soon as 10 to 14 days. And so she knew that. And all the way, we're here in mid-December. She goes, I know you told me you can close escrow in 10 to 14 days. I need that done. There you go. And boom, happened. And you closed so, on what, December 29th or 29th? 30? 29th. Yeah. Um, so again, now uh, I'm in a situation where... I'm going to continue to follow up with that seller. Bottom of funnel follow-up. Boom. So lessons for today really come down to uh, persistence and follow-up. There's going to be a lot of times that people say, 
yes or no and they don't mean it, it's going to be on you to read between the lines, but to also err on the side of caution and always follow up. 100%. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you guys took uh, some value, some good nuggets about uh, follow-up, how to do it, how to kind of really navigate the whole follow-up process, and why it's so important to making money, being successful, um, and running a successful business. So um, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, please reach out to us on social media. Uh, We'd be happy to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in, guys.